0: This week, we revisit a past episode that's a favorite of ours. So please sit back and enjoy this special best of presentation of Living the Call. It's been decades in the making where we are today, right? This isn't something that happened overnight. Sure. This is something that slowly has crept in. But I just think the potential of this, I mean, if we really could scale this, can you imagine if every 13 year old is starting to come through a rite of passage like this? We could turn this around in a generation.
1: Deacon Dave Arms, welcome to the show. Thanks, Charlie. This is a wonderful experience. Thanks. So great to have you here in Los Angeles live and in person. Yeah, beautiful day out there today. It really is. And uh, what people don't know about you, but you and I have talked beforehand, is that you're a pilot. I know you're not uh, current right now, but you could have made this trip uh, an easy one, a little, a little uh, hop, skip, and a jump uh, in a in a single engine, right? Right, right into Santa Monica. Is it, have you flown into that airport before? Uh, I think once, Yeah. So it's, is that a, like a, what, what type of runway is that? Is that, is that like an easy landing or yeah, is that Yeah, it's something? pretty easy. They got a pretty long runway. Yeah. 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 Do you, do you, I mean like, have you ever flown into international airports too? My son's a pilot. So he tells me, it's like, oh, I landed at LAX or whatever. And it's like a big deal when they do. Yeah. Well, that would be, um, yeah, I've flown into some technically international
0: airports. Uh, you know, interestingly enough, like Fresno is an international airport and what qualifies it is just that at least an international flight lands there sometime. So. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Is that, is that the closest one to you? Uh, no, no, I'm certainly not. Um, but I have a customer down there, so closest airport to us is actually SFO. How'd you get into flying? Uh, just something I always wanted to do. Um, remember going on trips with my grandmother to visit her sister in Kansas at five years old flying to Trans World Airlines. Wow. Thinking,
1: wow, this would be really D-W-A. cool. TWA.
0: Exactly. Yeah.
1: Was that one of those DC-9s? Or it was what? a 727. 727? Yeah. yeah. And there's something about just aviation that you... Yeah, just kind of
0: latched onto it. Yeah. Yeah. Went to trade school for college to learn how to be an aircraft mechanic. Nice. And um, ended up uh, getting a job for a major airline up in San Francisco. Worked for them for 24 years. Um, Ended up going into management uh, and then getting laid off. And that was kind of the beginning of a new phase of our life. Wow.
1: I was talking to a buddy of mine just recently, actually, my friend Jacob, um, about... There was an article that came out last week uh, about the drop-off in kind of trade and vocational applications by Generation Z. Mm -hmm. It Like year over year, it fell off by like 49%. And like this chasm of like people, I guess, desiring to work with their hands. And the demand is super high for mechanics and plumbers and all that kind of thing. It's just we're not getting a lot of these younger folks inspired in that kind of work. No, we're not.
0: But even, you know, like educational institutions moved away from that maybe – you know, 15, 20 years ago where they stopped offering that kind of thing. You know, at our local community college, we used to have a, not only an aircraft maintenance program, but a certified welder program. Yeah. And they pretty much just tore that end of the school down and built computer science and that that was their wave of the future. So, you know, the schools are still out there, but um, not as easy to access as they used to be. And maybe not at the community college level, like when, when I went
1: where it was, you know, virtually free to go. We had wood shop and auto mechanics and in, in, in my high school. And it's like a lot of kids went to that. And then I think like at some point we just so overcorrected to this idea that, you know, you go to high school and the only option is like a four-year school. And I can understand a little bit about where that came from, but the, the downside, especially in a place like LA is like, if I need an electrician, it's going to take me three weeks to find one. Right. Right. Yeah. We had a
0: wood shop and an auto shop in our high school too. And I remember Our auto shop teacher had quite a sense of humor and has said, our motto here at this shop is you drive them in, we push them out.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I like that. Yeah. No, I think it's, it's a real, I think there's also a spiritual dimension to it because the idea of using your mind and connecting it with your hands, right? This whole like mind, uh, body connection is something that is, um, you know, deeply a part of our faith. But if all we're doing all day is staring like, you know, sadly, like what I do, it's like, I just, you know, I type emails and look at digital media all day you can lose sight of like a part of who you are right so there's something really beautiful about trades and working with your hands and building and knowing how to do things and i'm kind of concerned about what that means for us as a as a civilization frankly right exactly yeah my friend um uh who's also been on the show Rory Groves wrote a book uh called Durable Trades i recommend it highly to anybody but it, it talks about like how if you look at civilizations over time They've always had these sort of fundamental trades that they've done, and that the moment that, you know, you start to lose this sort of baseline of these base trades, right, things like farming and building and whatever, you get into this really inverted kind of setup that usually is catastrophic for that particular civilization. And he cites, like, different historical examples of it in the mm-hmm. past, but— um I'm not a, like a blue collar guy myself, but I'm always encouraging people. It's like, hey, there's other options. There's things you can do.
0: Exactly. Yeah.
1: And I think, um, you know, this touches on, you know, something I want to talk to you about. There's a lot of stuff I want to talk to you about, Deacon Dave, but one of them specifically ties to like how we actually talk to, you know, younger folks and obviously career advice and things like that and options that exist is one of them. But the other thing that really was interesting I talked to your son and I talked to you, and I've talked to you once before. And that's why when we decided to do the show is this idea of something else we've lost, right? Which is the notion of rites of passage, Mm -hmm. right? And to be honest, I'd never really thought about it in the way that you and your family have, have done this. And we'll get into this about how you've sort of recaptured that particular moment. But that's something else that we've lost, right? This sort of transition from boy to man and we've lost it in a variety of ways. Maybe ceremonially is the easiest way to identify. Like, hey, there, there might have been this thing before, but now it doesn't exist. But it's been a very gradual thing. And when when I look around, and after talking to you and to talking to your son, I see how an incre- what an incredible like opportunity that is um, to you know kind of help really bolster the creation of you know solid, faithful um, you know men giving them that moment of transition, which we've kind of
0: lost. Right. And when you say we've kind of lost it, you know, it's not just limited to us here in the United States. Um, I was talking to our parochial vicar at our local parish, who's from Nigeria and I gave him a copy of our book and he looked through it. And um, I asked him, you know, are there rites of passage for your young men? And he said, you know, there used to be, but Western culture has really moved in and kind of pushed that kind of thing out. So
1: yeah, this is a this is a big deal. Where did this, this sort of the genesis of this notion come for you? I mean, you have a very personal experience about your own kind of rite of passage and some of your family history, but w- like, walk us through how this became something. that's like hey, you know what this is important enough for me to write a book, for me to dedicate some time to this as a as a as a as an overarching idea.
0: Right. So first of all, to get started, let me give credit where credit is due. The actual writing of the book, you know, with the lion's share of that done was was done by my son Stephen. Um, I had started the book uh, back in 2016, when within a six week span, we lost both my mom and my father-in-law. And um, we had, my father-in-law and I had come up with this tradition for our family. And we, over the years had kind of perfected it by doing a number of these rites of passages for our sons and for my nephews. And um, so uh, I wanted to kind of dedicate this book to them. So I got it started and took all the notes that we had and basically made the structure of the book kind of here's the introduction what it's all about and here's what I would suggest the chapters to be in a logical order and just kind of shelved that you know life got in the way and I mm. and, uh, was up visiting uh, Steve and and uh, his wife Emily and our grandkids about a year and a half ago they're up in Portland now and um, just kind of casually said you know I, I started this book and I always wanted to, to write this book about the rites of passage and so Steve just, he was kind of quiet, you know, and then about six months later, he says, hey, dad, you know, be careful what you watch for or right. what you wish for. And uh, he, he's like, sends me this draft of the book. That, like a manuscript. Yeah, yeah. And it was really pretty, um, I'm really enthused about the way he did it because not only is it like a step-by-step, here's how to do this, but half of the book is, this is what it's like from the perspective of a 13-year-old. So I think
1: he really captured mm. um, a, an important aspect of it there. The the name of the book is Milestone to Manhood, a Christian rite of passage to help your son make the leap from boyhood to manhood. It says it all right there. Go back for a second to the the relationship with your father-in-law, though. Um, In other words, even before you said about this notion of, hey, here's, I think, something important and how it should look— There was some moment of inspiration or some series of moments of inspiration. Like what was, what were those?
0: Right. So he, you know, he was a guy that I really looked up to one of the great mentors in my life. Mm. And, um, you know, I had come from a broken family, so I grew up without a father figure in the house until I was 15 years old. So, um, but but I, and I knew, you know, fundamentally deep down inside, I don't want it to be that way when I have a family. And, you know, Um, my wife her pastor at her local parish used to say all the time, I remember him saying this several times, you know, when you get married, you don't just marry the person, you marry the whole family. Yeah. And in this case, that was a real plus. I mean, oh. I really uh, looked up to their parents, the way they raised, they had four daughters, the way they raised them, they all had a, um, a strong faith. I mean, one of them um, has left and gone to a Protestant church, but you know, she still is a believer. Um, but just the way that, You know, when I first started dating her, um, how much they cared about the guy that was going to take their daughter out, you know, come on in, sit down, let's have a cup of tea and just talk and get to know you. So Mm. just their involvement in their kids' lives was really something, and they had such a strong marriage. um, They were a living witness to the faith, and and, um, of course, my wife probably had the biggest influence, but they were up there as far as my conversion to Catholicism. And they just lived the faith. They never really um, tried to convert me verbally. But, um, you know, so anyway, I looked up to him and having this background, which was difficult. Yeah. But also a blessing because I knew that I I wanted it to be different from my family. Sure.
1: It's like in the absence, of, you, you saw the contrast because you missed it. So when you saw it, it's like, that's what it is. Exactly.
0: Yeah. That's what I want to see. And I ca- saw him kind of as a spiritual leader in their family, not only in their Nuclear family, but in their extended family. Um, when I, we first started dating, I got invited to their big extended family Easter celebration, mm. which was at their grandparents' place. And interestingly enough, I thought, you know, it's not her grandfather that's leading this whole group of people in prayer, it's her dad. Yeah. So, um, yeah, he was kind of the spiritual leader of that whole extended family. So naturally, then when my kids started getting older and they're starting to move into adolescence, and I'm thinking, look, I, I want to connect with them. I want to be there for them. And here I've got this guy, and it's a great resource. Let's come up with some idea. And he had this idea. um, Why don't we have a meaningful weekend for them where Mm -hmm. basically the goal of the weekend is to take them away from home. And when we take them away, they're a boy. And when we return them to home, they're a man.
1: Had he done this before? Or this is, in other words, was there some history in his family of this kind of thing? He,
0: one of his nieces had done something similar to this, but um, certainly not to the extent that, that we we came to. Right. So we kind of started brainstorming about this. Um, one of the things that he was involved in, he and his mother, he and my mother-in-law was
1: Curcio. And you know what? I don't, if you're familiar with Curcio? I'm very familiar. I haven't, I haven't attended Curcio, okay. but I'm familiar with it. There's
0: right? a lot of elements in Curcio where um, things are, you're not expecting some things that happen. Mm. Kind of a surprise element to it. So he really intertwined that into this weekend. So we just came up with some different um, rituals, actually nine to be specific, nine rituals that we would incorporate into this weekend mm. um, with that goal of bringing our young son back as a man. At least him knowing that he's acknowledged as a man, you know, not only by his father, but by other important men in his family.
1: There's, there's a lot. So I, I, I work with people and have myself done a lot of programming of, of events, programming of, you know, curricula, presentations, things like that. And when I hear you describe just the, the sort of first parts of this, there's so many really intelligent components that you've thought about, right? Because most people might say, okay, well, we're going to have a rite of passage thing. What does that mean? It's a party. It's an event. But there's a few things that you've mentioned that I think are critical. Number one is this idea of, of not doing this in the typical place, right? We're going to go away to somewhere. There's tons of examples of that kind of thing. Scripturally, certainly, right? Jesus always left, right? He was always gone. In fact, it's funny. I'm watching this uh, the Chosen series. Uh, the, the third season of The Chosen has just been released. And it's become almost like a little inside joke among the apostles in these episodes. It's like nobody knows where Jesus is. He's, he's he's somewhere else. He's He's gone away. But how important it is to retreat from the everyday. And of course, we have that in our spiritual life. We go on retreats and that kind of thing. That's one thing. The second thing is the series of the variety of different, you know, rituals. And we'll get into what they are, but the combination of physical things with like, Talking and spiritual, right? So there's this sort of um i don't I don't know what the right word is, maybe uh, you know, iconization or tokenization of the experience where like you're left with a physical kind of keepsake reminder, that kind of thing, or you use a physical thing. That's also really like advanced event planning. you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I think I hear those things and I go, well, it's like it's hard to believe that, this came up like so organically, you know, without a lot of experience having done these kind of things in the past. Yeah.
0: Well, I mean, it was, there was some trial and error with it. I mean, every time we did it, obviously the first one was our eldest son. And uh, we always had a component of when we came back maybe a week or two afterwards, any of the involved guys that could make it, we would take our son out for coffee or breakfast usually. Right. And um, just talk about, well, what'd you think about that weekend? And what you, what did you like the most about it? Was there anything that made you uncomfortable? You know, how could we improve it? And so every time we did this, we kind of perfected a little more and a little more. And so we've been doing it, you know, for the better part of 20 years. And um, now that all our sons are past the age of 13 and all our nephews, you know, it's kind of a, always one of the aspects of it is that they don't really know what's coming. Yeah. So we keep this as a family secret. It's their job once they've gone through the rite of passes, not to let their younger brothers or their younger you know what cousins know, know that this is it. coming
1: yeah so um yeah. and that's a, those are two other cool things about it right this whole idea of getting feedback first of all and making it iterative so you're always building upon it and then this sense of like this is something special you're not really going to you shouldn't really talk about it let that person experience it for themselves like you have all the little pieces of a really successful recipe for something transformative i guess is what i'm saying
0: right and even one of the components of this you know debriefing afterwards it just solidifies that fact that hey, we see you as a man now, and your contribution to this is important, and we're going to incorporate it.
1: Sure, you've got a responsibility now, right, to kind of carry this thing forward. And part of it is that you know you you don't just blab about exactly what what happens, right? You got to leave some of that mystery behind. Right. So your older oldest eldest son was the first person to go through this, right? And and so break down the freshman effort, right? So this was one person going through this experience, or right. was okay. And how many other men were involved in this? So my father-in-law and two two of his uncles. Got it. So So four people together, four adults with the, at what age was he, your son? Just turned 13. This was all
0: done, in our case, it was all done right around their, right on or around their 13th birthday.
1: And any significance to the picking of 13?
0: Yeah, actually, we did some research on that and found that that's really kind of the sweet spot where traditional rites of passage are done around that age, 12, 13 years old um and there are some good reasons for that and um, you know we do get some feedback you know doesn't that seem kind of young to tell a guy that he's a man um but you know at at that age they're kind of still open to some unsolicited advice maybe especially and this is why it's important is not only the dad especially from other men that they look up to mm. um so they're kind of open to that advice um and they're not so set on their ways and you know you do this at 17 18 19 years old you know and by that time they know more than you do right and <laughs> and they could have gotten into a lot of trouble that we're hoping to help them avoid getting into by having this rite of passage in the first place. It
1: is a kind of a tricky, not tricky. It is a very important moment, that 13, 14, that that sort of age range. Because even though somebody could say, well, you you know, it's a little weird because you're not yet a man. True, but you're also definitely not a boy. Right. Right. Or you're in that moment where you're starting to grasp for what's coming next. And it's really critical, you know, at that particular moment. Um, obviously I know, uh, the bar mitzvah traditionally, right. The Jewish bar mitzvah happens around that age. Um, in the Hispanic culture for girls, there's something called a quinceanera, which you know well now as a deacon, right. which is around 15. Right. But so that is, the, it definitely feels like the sweet spot to have those kind of conversations. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, getting back to, um,
0: you know, what you said about withdrawing and Jesus withdrawing and. You know, um, there really are three elements to a rite of passage Mm. and that is one is the withdrawal because we want to take them out of their comfort zone. We want to take them somewhere that they haven't been before, um, just so it's new to them and they don't have any baggage about where they're at. Um, and then we propose some kind of a challenge to them. Um, and as we'll talk about through the rituals, uh, that's how we do that. And then reintegration back to the community. Mm. And, you know, if you think about it, Jesus had an ROP when, um, At the finding of Jesus in the temple, Um, he was out of his element because his earthly parents had left him. And um, he was challenged because he taught, interpreted the scriptures to the elders, right? And then um, reintegration, he was reunited with his parents. Um, And being reunited with new parents, he was a new man, right? He was in his father's house. Mm. So those are the elements that we're trying to always Get across and
1: that reintegration is also kind of celebratory too right it's like oh I mean think about that scene it was everybody was ecstatic that they found him and it, oh my gosh our whole caravan was looking for him for three days
0: very much so and that's um, that's one of the last uh, actually this is kind of the last uh, ritual that we have is just a regular birthday party back at home with his family with his friends and um, you're just kind of celebrating um, his new found identity. Um, and again, without letting the cat out of the bag.
1: Yeah, for sure. And, and and I'm, I'm guessing that this is something that has to settle with the young man for a number of, I don't know, weeks, months, years before he really fully appreciates exactly what's happened. But I am curious about what kind of feedback you got from that first effort. Like when you asked him, when you had that debrief and you're like, okay, how'd this go for you? What were some of the things that you heard? Yeah, I was definitely positive. I mean, he, he
0: wasn't, um, um uncomfortable at all because he knew the men so well you know his grandfather and his uncles and his dad so um that was that was a good and he he liked the surprise element after he kind of figured out what was going on because um you know at first the premise is is that the son and the dad are going away for a weekend trip just the two of them together and um on the way up to um the cabin that we rent um we would obviously 13 year olds can get hungry pretty quick so sure Within an hour or so, we say, "Hey, let's stop for breakfast somewhere," and we go into a diner somewhere. And lo and behold, coincidentally, all these other men in his life are having breakfast there. Oh, wow! <laughs> so okay. he's a little bit blown away, trying to process what is going on here. You know. And,
1: and they just they just you know latch onto the journey at that point.
0: They really do. I mean, that at that point, someone explains to him what's really going on. You know, hey, oh. we all. We're taking you away for this weekend because we, we we think it's important for you to know what we think it is to be a virtuous man. And we're spending our time to do it. You know, we've got uncles that traveled in from different locations. They made an effort to do this. They oh, were away wow. from their families. And, yeah.
1: you know, the gravity of it kind of hits them then. So that's sort of the first reveal, the first surprise, the exactly. first curveball that they get thrown. It is, right. You and know? is and, and is part of the idea here to kind of— I mean, I guess you know, keep keep the young man sort of, um, you know, uh, on his toes in a way, right? So, like, hey, you don't get settled into anything thing that you might think is coming. There might be something else up ahead. Exactly. Good metaphor for life. Yeah. Well, exactly. Which is exactly that, right? It's like we don't know what tomorrow may bring, so we it helps to be prepared. And when we get a little bit too settled, a little bit too comfortable. You know, the gospel's nothing if not about, you know, not being comfortable. It's about the narrow path and carrying your cross daily. And, you know, you got to be ready for those curveballs. So that's a great way to incorporate it. Very much so. So then, yeah. So after the
0: the breakfast, we um, kind of give him his first little assignment. And that is, okay, we're going to be going up to this cabin. We've got a couple of cars we're going to take. You're going to decide who's in which car and who's sitting where in the cars. And for the first time, maybe, believe it or not, I mean, with other adults in the car, he's assigned to sit shotgun in the front seat. Um, and he's telling his grandfather and uncle-
1: Where to go. <laughs> get
0: in the back. yeah. Wow. So, uh, which is a little just different.
1: Well, it's different, but it also communicates this, this fact that you're coming into a moment where you have some authority.
0: Right, exactly. And so that kind of leads us on the journey to the first ritual, which is just a fun activity. We just kind of want to break the ice with them. Um, so you really want to know- you know, you know, want to know your son well and what would resonate with him. So for example, um, you know, Steven, the one that wrote the book with me, his thing was fishing. We took him fishing and, um, but that won't
1: work with everybody. Right? But do they decide what they do or you've already decided? We've already them decided
0: what okay. we know what, what they like. So um, with one of our nephews, we went go-kart racing and did laser tags. Um, another one, we went spelunking and, you know, we did water slides one time. So, you know, the, The list is endless, but you just really want to do something that he's going to enjoy. So it's kind of like, he's already kind of had this initial shock and not too sure what's going to go on. So let's get any kind of ambition or ambivalence down Mm. and, um, uh, you know, just
1: start having a good time. So this would be, is this on a, this is a three-day thing, the whole thing, right? Well, it really, I mean...
0: Yes, and originally it was, but we ended up kind of condensing it into two, into two, two long days. days. Yeah.
1: So this might be, you know, on a Friday um, that you're describing right now, right? We've got the, the kind of, we're going to take a road trip, son. And then we pull over to the side of the road and oops, there's four other guys that I know that I really respect. And then we go do a fun activity. That's right. all day one.
0: That's all part of day one. Got yeah. it. Yeah. Okay. Day one's a long day, actually. Yeah. yeah.
1: Starts off in the morning, probably. Yep. Okay. Very good.
0: All right, so then after we're done with the fun activity, we head to wherever we've decided we're going to go. Usually for us, it's been a cabin, and it's been um, an important element that this cabin has at least either a fireplace or a wood-burning stove, um, because fire is going to be an integral part of the weekend, actually. Mm. Um, So that leads us into our second ritual, which is known as the entrance ceremony. Mm. So in the entrance ceremony, this is when we're going to, you know, transfer everything from the vehicles, food, supplies, and wood into the cabin. And um, before we enter the cabin, one of the men, we just did it that it was it was myself for my sons, um, would read from the book of Exodus, uh, chapter 3, verses 1 through 14, where
1: Moses encounters God in the burning bush. And um, so the, we, verse, the verse on my website, uh, it's one of my favorite verses really? ever. Yeah. When God, you know, calls himself the great I am. Yeah. Right.
0: So, yeah, that's, that's an important aspect of the weekend. And we, you know, we just want to kind of convey the message that, you know, you're going to have this relationship with God and you want to keep that fire always burning. Mm. So part of the weekend is, is that it's his responsibility not only to start the fire, and and that's not like that's not a rite of passage in itself. I mean, if he needs help starting the fire, one of the adults will help him. But it's his job to keep it going all weekend long.
1: And oh, got it. Okay, so he's got to stoke it, get new tin, uh, new new wood for it, et cetera, and just keep it burning.
0: Or assign someone to do that.
1: Or assign somebody to do that. So what they
0: end up doing is huh. uh, we take shifts, and so you know, it might be from two to four in the morning. Uh, Uncle Dan, you're the one who's going to be waking up and stoking the fire, and then so these are more decisions that he gets to make and delegate his authority. And Has
1: anybody ever picked themselves for the graveyard shift? <laughs> Curious.
0: Uh, people um, are always open to volunteer for it, but we let we let him make the decision. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha.
1: Yeah. Super symbolic. I mean, all this stuff is really, really great. Um, is the is the is the Exodus uh, verse also as a way to kind of? Dis, uh, you know, have some kind of notion that this is holy ground?
0: Absolutely. I'm glad you brought that up because another uh, component of that is that everybody removes their shoes. You know, God told Moses to remove his sandals because he was on sacred ground. So we claim the cabin as sacred space and that we won't be wearing our shoes in the cabin. In fact, we won't be coming and going out of the cabin until the weekend is done.
1: Really? Okay.
0: So it all happens inside. That's right. Right. Um, okay. So we're in the cabin now. So by then it's getting close to dinner time. So we're unpacking food that, and, and by the way, you know, when you asked who was all involved with this, it's not only the guys on the trip, obviously. I mean, oh, sure. the mom, my wife was, you know, huge in the planning of these and, um, you know, cooking the the types of food that they like. We So we're just going to basically heat it up when we're there. But again, this is an opportunity for him to say, okay, I want dad to do this to prepare dinner. I want my uncle to do this. I want my grandfather to do this. And, you know, who's going to clean up and who's going to... So it's another delegation um, opportunity for them. All right. So um, after dinner, we pretty much just all sit down in a, in a living room or something around the fire and have a talk with them. Um, just kind of off the cuff, just what it means to be a man to us. Um, again, what we're trying to um, convey to them is what this idea of virtuous masculinity is. Mm. So, you know, we would just give him advice. I mean, like, um, you know, a man, um, maintains a close relationship with God. Um, first of all, a man respects women, um, um, telling him, you know, avoid the pornography trap. Um, a man apologizes when he's wrong. Um, a man is honest and not afraid to seek help if he needs it. Um, And he takes care of himself so that he can take care of others. Um, A man defends the weak. So, uh, you know, again, the list goes on, and depending on who the adult players are is going to determine what those aspects are. But um,
1: Are those thematics specifically picked beforehand, and they just different men take turns saying something about that? Or does it just happen that those are the things that have come up historically? Those, as, as examples of virtuosity. Those came up. Or virtuous.
0: Yeah, just kind of organically Virtue. in ours. But, yeah. but um, the in the planning of this, ahead of time, we're asking all the men to already have thought about this. Yeah. You know, we want to think of one or two things that you would want to tell a 13-year-old young man um, on how to be a better man. So um, they have come prepared knowing what they're going to say and why they're going to say that.
1: Okay. And I can imagine also that, the, the, there's some formative experiences for the men too, in doing this.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. This is, um, this is maybe not as much for them as it is for the, sure. for the young man, but certainly a positive experience. Yeah. yeah. What happens after that? Okay. So after that um, we have a scripture sharing um, and this, you know, this lets them know that, you know, faith is an important aspect of our lives and we pick our scripture of choice. Um, in our particular case, our family, we always picked the prodigal son. Mm. Uh, that was kind of my father-in-law picked that one, but, um, you know, that's a good one. A very good one, you know, and the whole weekend just on that, especially, you know, we, we, our family had four boys. So it's like, okay, now which son do you identify with? <laughs> mm. And why? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then, um, other times we, uh, other men have picked the, you know, the parable of the talents, um, Jesus forgiving and heal, healing a paralytic. Um, so again, you know, the, the options are endless. Um, we leave it up to the individual men to determine what scripture they want to pick. Mm-hmm. But again, this is something that we want them to have thought about ahead of time, find to write down notes and use their notes. But
1: um, so you know, everybody shares their own kind of verse. Right. And then and why it speaks to them, why, why it, was, it speaks to them in the context of this kind of virtuous manhood. Right. Got exactly, it. okay, all right, so when we're done with that, we go in, like I said, the first day is a
0: long day <laughs> by now it's evening time. um we go into another ritual that's pretty short in uh, actually, but but profound, and that is um we gift a family heirloom,
1: yeah, this is when when you and I talked about this, I was blown away by it, yeah,
0: so in my case, it was really easy because my father had a um coin collection that he gave to me uh when I was a young man, and um so that was easy for me to pick a special coin for each one of them to give to them and say, "Hey, you know what? um your grandfather this was your grandfather's coin, and not only is it value i mean valuable monetarily, but it's it has meaning to our family it has oh. has emotional value and um you know this teaches him a lot not only you know, yeah, you're getting this thing, but that we trust him that he can handle this that he, you know we trust him with the responsibility that." He can take this on and, you know, maybe one day he'll pass this on to one of his children.
1: And the kid understands that it's a significant token, right? I mean, this is something very special that the man is giving in addition. It's not just like some keepsake. It's it's, a, it's an important thing, right? right. So I'm, I'm guessing that resonates too. Exactly. You know, it's meaningful. And, but yeah, I mean, we've had other
0: rites of passage where like a an, an old um, watch was given or something, but just something that's meaningful to the dad and that the son knows that it's meaningful to him. And, mm-hmm and appreciates that,
1: wow, you know, my
0: dad trusts me with this now.
1: Then what happens? What are the sleeping arrangements? I'm curious. Like, how does that, you send them off into the, like a particular area of the house or how does that work?
0: Yeah. Well, you know, everybody pretty much brings a sleeping bag. And then again, this is a thing where, uh, where the 13 year old will determine who's going to sleep where. So, um, and maybe make it um, advantageous for the shifts who are going to be stoking the fire. Right. So it takes a little planning ahead of time. But um, yeah, so then the last thing of the first day is um, we, we give we give our sons a, uh, a letter, not a letter, but a, a bunch of letters. Okay. <laughs> so everybody who's privy to this, um, which would be any of the adults in his family and any um, sibling or cousin that has beyond the age of 13, is going to write a letter um, to the young man and just, you know, talking about— you know, positive character traits that they see in him already, and how he could develop those. Um, maybe lessons that they've learned through life. Sure, super uh, powerful. Yeah, yeah, some advice they might want to be giving him, um, and just offering to be there for him when he might need someone to talk to. You know, That's other right.
1: than his parents. Reminds me of the marriage encounter that uh, happens a lot. You know, in preparation for matrimony, where the you know future wife and future husband will write to one another a letter as they're on retreat. And even though you're always so close to this person, to read their words right. is just like a whole different animal. I mean, it's totally crazy. I remember myself, we did it up in uh, Santa Barbara, my wife and I, and I remember reading her letter and going like, it it sounded like in stereo, like in 3D, you know what I mean? It was just so different than just hearing uh, her, even if she tried to explain it to me what was in the letter, there was just something really deep and, and important about the written word, and especially in that moment where you're out of your element and you're doing all these different things and you don't know what's coming next, like that's stuff that sticks with you forever.
0: It does, you know, and, and logistically speaking, it might not, in fact, it probably won't be that they're going to get to reading those letters that, that night, night or maybe even on that trip, but it's something that they have to take with them. And, um, you know, you were asking earlier about um, the immediacy of the effects of this. So yeah, there are some immediate benefits, but these things carry on for years. Um, so, you know, Steve talks in the book about um, how it had a profound effect on some of the decisions he made in college. Um,
1: so, Can I ask you a, a practical question, but I'm sure people in the audience might have this, which is you're talking about 13, 14-year-old boy in 2023. I'm assuming there's some rules to this weekend and maybe some rules specific to the cabin, right? So one of the things that comes up to me immediately is like mobile phones, mm-hmm. mobile devices. right. How do you tackle stuff like that? Distractions maybe broadly. Is there a TV in the cabin? Like things like that.
0: Yeah. That kind of stuff is just put aside for the weekend. Yeah. To the extent, um, you know, we did this first one, you know, um, like I say, about 20 years ago. So it wasn't as pressing then. It wasn't such a big, big deal. Right. But um, yeah, we, there's really no electronics and of course, no alcohol, um, you know, no profanity, you know. (laughs) Sure. Yeah. Yeah. so, um, but yeah, so there are some ground rules and, and that kind of gets to also, you know, who exactly would you invite on this weekend as far as the adults, mm-hmm. right? You certainly want them to be a male role model that um, the kind of guy you want your son to end up like, right? So, I mean, there's a lot of families where, you know, you have believers and you have non-believers in the same family. And, you know, it could be a, a problem in the family. Let's say the grandfathers doesn't believe, but it's like, how, how do you exclude him from this weekend Um, and maybe you don't need to, maybe just, you know, as long as he's not going to sabotage it by saying, oh, that's all, you know.
1: Sure. But I mean, but it's a, it's a good point though, because there may be examples of virtuous men who might not be at the same, you know, point in their, in their faith journey, or maybe not even started their faith journey, but they have something to contribute to this or because they're part of the family, you might want them there. I mean, I'm sure it requires some discernment, but. It sounds like that's a possibility too. Exactly. Yeah.
0: So, yeah. So then getting back to the letters, you know, another great thing about the letters is they always have them with them, right? Like Steve still has his letters and I think he has kind of like a annual ritual where he'll read them again. And, um, you know, now, like I said, a couple of his grandparents are gone. So that's what he has
1: from them. So it's um, super meaningful. yeah. 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 It's great. Okay. So that that's day one. Day wow. one is over. I'm yeah. already transformed.
0: <laughs> I haven't even done it. I wish I had. Great. Well, um, maybe you can be a part of one. Yeah, Certainly. absolutely. Yeah. I'd love that. So day two, you know, we start off with a good breakfast. Then again, he's delegated. Is it an
1: early kind of bugle call or people just wake up? People just are kind of waking
0: up. Okay. I mean, you know, it was a, a big day ahead of that. And um, you were up late and various guys were getting up at different times of the night to put a log on the fire. So <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah so, um, after breakfast, we have what we call a ribbon ceremony. Mm. So, prior to entering the cabin, what we've done is um each of the men have gotten a stick um and depending on where where it's going to be, you may have to bring your own sticks, right? Maybe two or three feet long and an extra one for the for the sun. and uh, on this stick, we have pre um fabricated. Just some ribbons, and it does not be fancy. It could just be like an old sheet, and you rip it up and maybe about one inch wide and a foot long or something. And we write aspects or attributes about ourselves that we see in ourselves. Typically, we do this six aspects, okay? So we would choose like three positive attributes and three negative attributes. So, for example, you know, one of the guys might say his positive attributes are he's faithful, um, he's a hard worker and uh, he honors his parents and then some things that he sees in himself that he'd like to improve maybe he's procrastinates or he's greedy or he's lustful so he'll have these six things written on the stick and and the boy has an empty stick and he goes around the room and starts with you know whoever wants to start and the uh, the man will tell him okay this is what i see in myself this is why i see it and are there any of these attributes as you come into manhood that you would like to take on?
1: Of the positive ones or of the... the, the anyone Any anyone that them? he chooses. Oh, now, wow. Yeah.
0: Okay. It just so happens that they've always only chose positive ones. Sure. <laughs> so, um, So at the end of this, he's got this stick full of, you know, a dozen or more positive attributes that he would like to integrate into his life. And then we're all left with three negative attributes. So we collectively take these and put them in the fire. Nice. Purge ourselves of these these uh, negative attributes and say, you know what? Um, These are things we see in ourselves that we need to work on. And we're going to be able to do this because we're giving it up to God. And we have this community of our believing family that that's behind us.
1: So then it's basically, it's like a walking stick kind of a thing. And then around it are these different ribbons. Each of them have a different attribute, a three positive three that we need to work on. And then do all, does all of the ribbon getting for the young man happen at the same time, or this is over the course of the weekend that he can gather these, these attributes onto his own stick?
0: Yeah, you could certainly do it either way. The way that we did it is it was kind of one event in its, in an, in and of itself. Yeah. But, um, you know, this, like I said, the book is kind of a blueprint on how to do this and a testimony on what it was like for a teenager, but, um, you there's leeway to customize this any way of you course, want. Of course, I'm sure. sure, yeah. But yeah, the main thing is, you know, there there is a lot of planning to this. Obviously, every kind of step of the way has been pre-planned. And um, so it takes some thought ahead of time. And it's it could seem like a pretty daunting task. And quite frankly, it it is, it was. Um, but, you know, it can be a little intimidating too. I mean, just to get a bunch of guys together that are willing to be vulnerable in front of each other and in front of this young man, um, takes, you know, I bet takes some courage.
1: So, but at the same time, the planning thing though, I mean, you know, people won't bat a, you know, eyelash and plan some, you know, like we were just talking about quinceaneras. I mean, those are basically mini weddings, you know, though there's guests and dresses and, you know, a liturgy and there's music and there's an after party and there's all these, and and like people don't think about, well, there's a lot that went into that this is at that same level of significance, right? So hopefully we wouldn't look at that work that needs to be done too begrudgingly because we're probably happy to do it in other settings, right? Just not necessarily in this one.
0: Right, you know, and actually Steve writes something about, related to that in the book about when um, he's uh, helping a friend of his work on his house and this friend is um, young, he's in his early 20s, but engaged to a wonderful girl. And um, Steve's friend says to him, hey, he says, um, when did you first feel like you were a man? Hmm. And Steve's like, no problem. I, I remember when that I was moment. 13 years old, Absolutely, my dad and my uncles and my grandfather told me I was a man. And, um, you know, after that, he had experiences where, you know, he went to a uh, Catholic high school up in the Bay Area. It was all boys school and- The teachers used to say, you know, when the class would get a little out of control, it's like, all right, boys, all right, you know, settle down. And he would think to himself, well, I'm not a boy, I'm a man, you know,
1: so. You're not talking to me anymore. Exactly. Yeah, that's wild. I mean, it's really interesting, too, because those moments of, um, you know, in our histories, and our personal histories that mark that moment of inflection where you can just pick it. Sadly, a lot of those end up in the sort of general consciousness or moments of tragedy, right? People remember 9-11 or something like that but to really mark chronologically a moment as important as this. If that was the only thing that came out of this, I would say it's worth doing. Right. But then you've got all this other kind of rich experiences that happen around it, which are just, you can draw on that stuff for a long time. Yeah, Pass it on to your kids.
0: Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And this is something, you know, that um, when we kind of shared this with other men, um, you know, the the common theme would always be wow, they'd be a little blown away by this. You know, it's like, that's really cool. And then that that almost always they say, I wish my dad would have done something like that for me. Yeah. I mean, but it just wasn't on people's radar, right? And, um, you know, interestingly enough, when we um, started kind of promoting this, maybe about a year ago, um, you know, we have an annual Catholic men's conference up in San Francisco. And um, they gave me just a few minutes. I wasn't like one of the slated speakers, but there was a few minutes after lunch where guys could get up and just, They'd give them five minutes to talk about something. So I just stood up and, um, and talked about this weekend. And interestingly enough, the vast majority of the feedback I got was from grandfathers, um, which makes a lot of sense because they see the value in this and they're at a point in their lives where they have the resources and the time to put into planning something like this or the dad, you know, the dad might be in the middle of his career and business trip. Exactly. (laughs) Right. So, um, yeah, the grandfathers are integral to this.
1: Well, I, I, I got to tell you, I mean, I, I know I mentioned it to your son when I first met him and came across this idea that me as a marketer and somebody who spent so many years in business automatically sees this concept and your book and thinks about how do we platform this? How do we package this? How do we express this? So it's something that can happen at scale. Exactly. That's like the first thing I think about. It's like th- this should be something that is a a platform that any, you know, father, grandfather, mother, whatever could look at and go, I want to do this. And what are the tools and the pieces of actually pulling this thing off? Right. So that's like immediately where I go because of how meaningful I think this could be as a platform.
0: Right. And, you know, we realize too that, you know, it's not like everybody has this perfect nuclear family. Right. So um, and especially in those families where there's challenges, you know, let's say it's a single mom uh, raising her children. It's like, that's the kind of boy that probably really needs this. Mm. So, um, yeah, in order to, to make this somehow just a, a process that, that guys can grab onto and and take and run with would be, would be really powerful, you know? No question. You know, I, I personally think that, um, you know, our problems in society really stem from just men not stepping up and being men. I mean, if you look at, so many issues. I mean, just let's look at the life issue. I mean, if guys were responsible, abortion would be gone, Mm -hmm. right? So, um, and, you know, even... I was listening to one of your podcasts earlier about... um, I I think you quoted a percentage of people these days that uh, are confused about their gender. Oh, yeah. And, you know, this is is huge to identify their... Give them their masculine identity and let them know, you know, you are a man now. So, um, but, you know, that whole this whole, if you will, kind of, um, degradation of society has taken decades to happen, right? Yes, it has. I mean, in the, um, in the process of doing research for this book, um, you know, my dad was a World War II vet. So I was doing some, and like I said, you know, we came from a broken family. He actually ended up moving down to Guadalajara, um, because he had multiple sclerosis and, uh, he had, he could afford to have a couple of guys literally living 24 seven, taking care of him down there. And, um, So I wanted to learn more about him to give that to them. So I went online and found out, um, you know, it turns out my dad was in the Navy. I knew that I knew it. I had this little flag that he gave me and it said 55th Construction Battalion. He was a CB in the Navy in World War II. So I Googled that and I found out there's actually a CB museum in Washington, D.C. And online, you can get their yearbook. So here I am looking at this yearbook and it's talking, it has like a map of all their you know, missions and everything and where they started and where they ended. And there's this one picture, it's it's like a high school yearbook. These guys are all in Papua New Guinea with a picture of each one of them, like a, you know, a still of each guy. And, um, you know, it's hot out there. They're, they're fighting, you know, monsoons and malaria. And mosquitoes. You know? <laughs> mosquitoes. Yeah, that, that's the big three out there, right? So all these guys are in these pictures with their shirts off. And it's like, you know, these guys... Were there? They had a mission. They made it happen, and they didn't have time to think about. Am I confused by my gender? You know, what I mean? it's
1: true, <laughs> right? It's so, true. Wow! Did you see your dad specifically in my, those pictures? Was my he dad one in the- that picture? Yeah. yeah. And you'd never seen that picture before. I'd never seen that picture before. Yeah. Oh, that's wild. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I cool. think that this, you know, because you hit on something important, which is that recognition of the fullness of masculinity is an antidote to so many things, right? A proper understanding. Right. um, And the characteristics which you've already mentioned of a virtuous man, because, you know, masculinity itself can also be deformed and thwarted and maybe it's more about, you know, machismo or control or respect or whatever. Um, But to really focus on the virtuous aspects of what makes a man a man is like, I mean, How many issues could be solved by just a deeper understanding at the right moment about those things? Instead, what we have is, first of all, no moment for the most part. There's just this sort of slow fade into like, I guess I'm grown now, right? Um, And that's why we have a lot of large boys instead of men. Um, But then there's also the teachers that do pop up at those ages, 13, 14, 15. And usually, in a lot of cases, secular examples mostly – there are things that are actually taking you farther away from those virtues. So, like a double whammy. So, this really, again, why I thought this was so interesting was because you've really hit on something. Which, yeah, from a civilization standpoint, we probably always known this idea of a, of a, this sort of rite of passage moment of transition. But just how important that is because the actors around that moment of transition still exist. They're just not the ones you want right. unless you can find, you know, a different way to to approach it. Right. Yeah. You know, it kind of takes me back to, I
0: remember when our first son went to this school, you know, when he was a freshman, we went to orientation. And the policy there was, um, if your son brings a phone to school, we'll be taking it away from him and you can come get it. And by the time our fourth son went there. Oh boy. It was... Oh, we don't have any paper textbooks. They're gonna have to have a device and everything's
1: online. And it happened yeah. almost overnight. Exactly. And yeah. now it's like forget about it. I mean the technology and look look at what we just went through, obviously, with COVID, which really even replacing teachers with essentially with laptops and computers. It's a really tricky time. Um and what makes something like this so so potentially powerful. H- had you have you thought about the, the idea of kind of platformizing this in some way? Just as an example, this isn't the right one, but, you know, uh, post-abortive care. Rachel's Vineyard, I'm sure as a deacon, you're familiar with that. Uh, Eo, you've already mentioned it, right? Mm -hmm. This idea of this is, yeah, it's based on some, there's a method to it. It's based on some research, et cetera, et cetera. But it's also like a, it's like a a program, like a package, like something that anyone can participate in. Have you thought about that? Yeah, we're actually in the process
0: of uh, working through a workbook to the, an add on to the book. Um, and it's basically a six week guide to create or write a rite of passage. And so, you know, every week you just work on these different rituals, you know, you're planning, you're planning it out. There's opportunity in the book to, you know, think about these things. We introduce the idea to them and then, okay, sit down. Who are the guys you want to pick? Yeah. Why do you want to pick these guys? And then for the guys that you pick, you give them the workbook and then say, okay, pick a scripture that speaks to you. Write it down. Why, you know, what What about it is it that you want to convey? Yeah. It? So it really— That's it. It just kind of takes takes the guy by the hand and um, helps him through the
1: process. So— um, What is reception—how's reception to the book been? People who've—I haven't read it yet, by the way, just okay. so you know. But I mean, I've only talked to you and your son, but I'd like to— what have people said who maybe haven't been as close to going through these, but or have read the book, and like, wh- how are they impacted by
0: this? Well, all of them have given us positive feedback, I mean, literally, and uh, you know, and some some of them have actually had the opportunity now to do this for their sons, and um, you know, it, it's been a great response, um, and we st- we're still learning things. For for example, one of the dads. Uh, elected to do this as a camping trip instead of actually going up to a cabin, which in retrospect was probably a mistake, just because there's so much to deal with as far as you know, pitching tents and sure, the logistics you know, right, of camping. Right. So um, yeah, I mean, we're still getting getting feedback from uh, from guys that are running through this now. Yeah. And like we said, you know, it's a different world now than it was 20 years ago. But um, yeah, the reception has been been good. Um, and like I said, you know, people when you talk about it, they're pretty intrigued about it. And you know, I have this one story about Steve. Um, he uh, he met his his wife on Catholic Match, and she was from uh, uh, Oregon up in the Ashland area. And, uh, of course, we're from the Bay Area. So when they first met, you know, they met halfway. They met in Redding. And I love this story. They went bowling. And then after that, first thing they did on their first date is went to adoration and prayed the rosary together.
1: <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. So, um, yeah. So, so um, that's, that's the good thing about meeting somebody on Catholic Match, yeah, right? Exactly.
0: Yeah. So— Turns out that she comes from, you know, she's got three, two sisters. There's three girls in her family. And, um, but she's got a lot of cousins, right? She's got a big family. I think, I think she has 47 first cousins, but I might be wrong in the exact number. Wow. So, you know, Steve, you know, has decided, you know, this is probably the one. So he moves up to Oregon to be closer to her. And um, he kind of, they're at an event. I forget what what it was. It might've been Thanksgiving or something. And these cousins kind of get him aside And they're kind of like vetting him. It's like, okay, are you worthy to be (laughs) Emily's husband? And so they're asking him all, you know, it's like, boom, 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 ask him all these questions. And um, one of the questions was, okay, so does your family have any like traditions? So he's kind of thinking, well, I mean, there's a regular, we get together for Easter or Thanksgiving and... Oh yeah! By the way, we do we did this one thing when we were 13, and he kind of explained it in there. It's kind of like this (laughs) jaw drop moment, you know. And it's like, it is. Whoa, that sounds really cool, you know. We want to do that for our kids. So, um, yeah, that's uh, that was that was uh, I think. Part of his acceptance into the family.
1: <laughs> I think there's a lot of promise in this um, as, as something scalable for a significantly larger amount of people um, because you've hit on a really important insight, which is that parents, all parents want the best for their kids, right? I mean, I guess there's the maybe notable exception that proves the rule, but most, let's say, mm-hmm. want the best for their kids. And we all realize we're living in a kind of turbulent time so that that need is there from a market standpoint right the demand is there right but the ways to do it right we get kind of it's like the method to actually achieve some of this um parents need help with that right they need and not just parents but like people who are interested in the lives of young you know young young men um and so the applications of something like this could be pretty broad maybe even potentially outside of the nuclear family maybe mm-hmm. it's um you know, maybe there's a version of this that could be applied to other areas of of of, of ministry, right? Um, you know, folks in who maybe have been incarcerated or who've run afoul of the law, or there's so many different ways. But it's just, it, it, I get the same response. The people that I've talked to about this, same kind of thing. It's like, wow, that's really cool. Hadn't thought about that. Wish my parents did it for me. Like to do it for my kids. So those are all the things. Again, I'm a marketer, right? So I look for those things and go like, okay, you might be onto something here. So definitely looking forward to whatever you develop that comes out of this thing.
0: Great. Yeah. Yeah. We would really like to see this, you know, something come out of this where, I don't know, maybe, you know, a Knights of Columbus chapter or something to take something on like this, where they have guys that they raise up to to do weekends like this. That mm-hmm. would be awesome. And I think the workbook is a, uh, is a step to doing that, you know, and maybe you just have, even have guys facilitate this and, and lead small groups into how to do this. But, you know, if you think about it, we, we said earlier that, you know, it's been decades in the making where we are today, right? This isn't something that happened overnight. Sure. This is something that um, slowly has crept in. Um, but I just think the potential of this, I mean, if we really could scale this, I mean, could you imagine if every 13-year-old is starting to come through a rite of passage like this? We could turn this around in a generation.
1: Absolutely. So. No question. That's exactly the point. It's like there is serious potential here and cultural impact that can be born from an at scale kind of version of this thing. How does the weekend conclude? All right. So that kind of
0: leads us into our last two rituals, if you will. So the prior to leaving the cabin, we do a formal fin- final, blessing. All right. So where the men bless the boy. Um, and again, this is something in the workbook where, you know, think about what you want to say in your in the blessing. And, um, and, and at the end of it, the father and, and the other men officially bestow the title of man on him. So, mm. they, you know, we recognize you as a man of the family now. And, um, you know, it goes beyond that, obviously. So now when they come home, um, I, just one little thing, for example, you know, again, by the t- when you get all of the cousins and um, uncles and aunts together for a big family event, it ends up being a lot of people. And generally we used to have a big table in the dining room with the adults, and then a big table in the living room with the kids. So once they've gone through their rite of passage, they're now moved from <laughs> the kids' table into the adults' table.
1: Mm.
0: And, um, yeah, it's just a matter of, you know, just occasionally asking for their advice or, about something. I mean, even if you know how to do it, obviously, it's like, what do you think the best way to do is to jack the scarf to take the brakes off? Sure. Know? So... And then, so then the last thing then, and we touched on this earlier, is just a regular birthday party where their friends are invited, you know, any, any family that can make it. Um, Still in the cabin. No. Now this, we've gone home. Got it. And, and we're returning home. This is was returned back to his elements. And we're celebrating, uh, we're celebrating this weekend what he's become. Um, and again, without letting the secret out. But, um, you know, an, an, another point of this, Deacon that um, has been important to us and would be for any Catholic family, too, of course, is at some point in the weekend, either on the way up on Saturday, if you leave on a Saturday, we did this on a Saturday, leaving on a Saturday for the last one we did, or in coming back on Sunday, we stop for the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass somewhere. Because, I mean, obviously, we we would never want to miss Mass. so.
1: I was going to ask you about this, any sort of sacramental presence in this or even any clerical presence um, in this. But having said that, and I agree agree how important those things can be, the audience for this or the potential, you know, uh, participants in these rites of passage don't necessarily need to be Catholic. Mm -hmm. In fact, they might not even necessarily need to be Christian, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, this could have, you know, utilization even beyond you know, our world in that sense. Do you see it that way?
0: Yeah, I think it could. I mean, I mean, ideally, right, we want to evangelize everybody. Of course, <laughs> yeah. the fullness, right?
1: Yeah. And then the other question that I had for you um, is, obviously, we haven't talked about this, but you are, you're a deacon, right? And you've got your ministries, et cetera. How has this fed your ministry or vice versa? How has there been any kind of diaconal character that you've Sort of inputted into this experience to the extent that that's happened,
0: yeah, you know, I don't know if this answers the question directly, but I can say that you know, at, at like you were asking, how did this impact um them and when did it impact them? So, you know, uh, we were talking before the show that uh, our oldest son went to LMU. and um so, you know, we raised the kids as best we could, right? They go off to school, and um he never really lost his faith, but, you know, certainly drifted, you know, as as young men do oftentimes. Um, and then came back to it fervently now, now that he's up in Portland area too, with his brother, Steve, who helped me write the book. And, um, you know, they had a a really nice traditional mass for their, Mm -hmm. for their wedding. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it kind of blew me away. I guess I shouldn't have been surprised, but, you know, they asked me to be the deacon at their wedding. Oh, nice. So that was just, you know, one of the most joyful days of my life. I I mean, of course, um, when, when all the kids got married, but, um, that special moment, you know, I mean... To be able to serve on the altar, you know, I mean, I love that about being a deacon. Mm. I love serving on the yeah. altar. And, um, you know, the the celebrant said, hey, you do the homily, you know? So I got to do the homily at my son's wedding, right? And when we went down the steps, when <clears throat> they were about to exchange their vows, and the priest blesses their rings, right? And he gives the ring to my son, Oren. And Oren takes the ring, puts it on Mangan's finger and says, you know, Take this ring as a sign of my love and fidelity in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And when he's doing that, you know, my wife and I have reminisced about that point in our wedding before, too. And when he's doing that, you know, I was focused on him putting the ring on her finger. But I'm looking—imagine this perspective. You're on the altar looking out towards the congregation. And I just looked up, and my wife was right in my line of sight. Mm. And our eyes locked, and it's like, hey, remember 34 years ago when we were doing this? Yeah. I mean, it was just— Amazing. That's beautiful. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I had an opportunity to serve at my brother's a priest and I had a chance to serve at his uh, ordination. Oh, fantastic. And it was, I was recently ordained, I was all, two weeks old as a deacon. <laughs> um, and uh, it was a very, very special experience. And we can combine our liturgical ministry um, in those very special, you know, kind of moments. Um, yeah. Wow. That's, that's really, really cool. Um, deacon Dave, before we get to our final segment, Wait, what? I want folks to be able to, we talked about the book, right? It's called, again, Milestone to Manhood, A Christian Rite of Passage to Help Your Son Make the Leap from Boyhood to Manhood. Where can folks get that? What other ways? Because it sounds like you got some things in development. What other ways can they keep in touch with what you're up to for the right moment? Right. So the book's really easy to get. I mean, it's
0: just on Amazon, you know, so it's just published on demand. So um, it's readily available there. We do have a website. It's just milestone to manhood.com. Okay. And um, the the cool thing about the website is, is that, you know, it, it not only does it explain the rite of passage and the things that we talked about this morning, but um, there's actually templates that we've written letters to emails to the guys that you want to participate in this. So it's not like you got to come up with this. Well, what am I going to say? How am I going to convince these guys to do it? It's like, and it'll even say, you know what? Nine months before your son's rite of passage, send this email out. Yeah. And six months before, send this one out, and a month before, and a week before. And so it's just like, this thing is turnkey. All you got to do is fill their name in and send the email. And I mean, these are just um, just copy and paste it into your email. It's like, we're not asking for your email or anything. It's just, this is free for the getting. Just go get it and do it. Yeah. So. It's
1: like a rite of passage kit. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Take all the sort of operational logistics out of it which yeah. is great. Yeah. It's a huge help. Yeah, Awesome. Well, we'll include that information um, in the show notes. And again, I'm blown away by it. I think it's an incredible concept. I see it as a much bigger platform. I think it's something that can really help to turn the cultural tide. And people are always looking for like, what can I do? What are practical things that I can do? You know, and we hear things like, you know, obviously live the sacramental life, hugely important, remain in prayer, be, you know, accompany your your children. But here's something that is you know, very practical. It's a moment in time. It's a very important one and something that really anybody can do. It just takes a little bit of, uh, you know, a little bit of elbow grease, but it's worth doing. They're your kids, right? So it should be worth doing. Um, So I'm really privileged that you had a chance to stop by and share this with us. And uh, you're welcome any time again, as this thing progresses to uh, let us know how it's doing. Fantastic. Well, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Awesome. Are you ready to play though? Wait, what, Deacon? Have you prepared? Isn't anybody ever ready? (laughs) No, nobody. Nobody ever is. But yeah, let's have some fun. All right, my friend. So here we go. Um, Now, I know that you actually mentioned a little bit of, uh, of this, that you did some research on previous rites of passage in preparation for the book. So I think you're the right guy for this question, Deacon Dave. Which of these cultural rites of passage is fabricated? In other words, which of these is false? Okay. Is it A, in the South Pacific the Vanuatu people engage in Naghol land diving, which is similar to bungee jumping, but done with tree vines? Is it B, the Hamar tribe in Ethiopia performs a rite of passage for young men that involves ceremonial whipping and running across the backs of castrated bulls? Or is it C, the Algonquin Indian tribe historically had young men wear gloves filled with bullet ants as they danced for 10 minutes without flinching? Which of those rites of passage, Vanuatu people doing this land diving with tree vines, the Ethiopia the Hamar tribe in Ethiopia doing a rite of passage where we're jumping over cows, or the Algonquins uh, having their young men wear these gloves filled with ants and dancing for 10 minutes, which of those is false? Well, I know that there is a fire ant
0: uh, rite of passage. So um, it's got to narrow it down between A and B, and I'm going to I'm gonna choose B.
1: Oh, you were onto something because there is an ant thing, and that's what, I, I kind of tricked you a little bit on that one because there is an ant thing, but it's not the Algonquins okay, okay. that do it. So the 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 correct answer uh, is C. The the Algonquin Indian tribe does not have this uh, men, you know, young men wearing gloves filled with bullet ants, but there's a tribe in Brazil that does. Right. And right. you were on to that. Okay. The other the other two are actually true, and I've actually seen videos of the I guess it's Nagal land diving where it's like. They wrap these tree vines around their ankles, they jump off a tree, and whoever can get closest to the ground without dying, I guess, is, is you know, gets to become a man. Um, and, and who ties the ties knot to the tree? I, I <laughs> That's a great point, you know. Uh, hopefully it's not maybe the kid, maybe somebody else that looks at it. Um, And the other one is also true about this uh, Ethiopian rite of passage, um, which I guess is very ancient, Mm. uh, that involves jumping over these (laughs) these bulls for some reason. All right, so that was question number one. Question number two, you did talk also about um, your dad being a World War II vet. So this is a true or false question, Deacon Dave. The last Japanese soldier to surrender did so in 1974 nearly 30 years after VJ day. True or false? I'm gonna say that's true. That is true. In fact, the, the, the man's name was Teruo Nakamura and he was an indigenous Taiwanese soldier, joined the Japanese military at the beginning of the war and he assumed the war was still raging on while his unit fled into a jungle in Indonesia and he survived on his own, foraging for whatever food he could until he was finally found in December of 1974. That's crazy. Talk about a rite of passage. There you go. It's a 30-year rite of passage. Okay. Last question for you. Doing great. Here we go. I know you're also into aviation. So again, custom design just for you. On September 18th, Deacon Dave, the church celebrates the life of St. Joseph of Cupertino, a mystic who was perhaps most famous for his ability to fly. His father, a poor carpenter, died before his birth, and his mother, who was unable to pay the debts, lost her home and gave birth to Joseph in a stable at Cupertino, Italy. Uh, Joseph began having mystical visions, et cetera, et cetera. We know a little bit of his story. But he is the patron saint of two very important things in the area of aviation. One of them is he is the patron saint of aviators. What is he additionally a patron saint of that ties into how one becomes an aviator? It has to do with some education, but... It does. Yeah. It does. I'm going to give you the, I'm going to give it to you. He's actually the patron saint of students preparing for exams. Oh, great. And in aviation, I know this from my son, like you're always preparing for your next certification or preparing for exams. So you get a little bit of a twofer when you uh, ask for his intercession. If you're a pilot, Beautiful. aviation and testing. Yep. So there you go. Good, good. Deacon Dave, what a pleasure to have you on the show. Real privilege. Uh, thank you for sharing your story with us. We'll include all the stuff in the show notes and, and I encourage everybody again to check it out. Thanks for stopping by. Thanks, Deacon This It's a privilege to meet you. And if you're hearing our voice, that means it's time to subscribe. Share this episode specifically with somebody you know who may have a son ready for that rite of passage and give them this kind of, uh, you know, kit on how to do this in a very meaningful way. And we'll see you again next time on Living the Call.